You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, hello, Banner Church. It's so good to be with you this morning. How many of you are having a beautiful Sunday morning here today? Isn't the weather just gorgeous? I just love it out there. It's so wonderful. Well, my name is Jamin Metcalf. I'm a volunteer here at Banner Church, and we are coming to the end of our series called Better Blessing. This is a series that we've been doing on the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the very beginning of Jesus's sermon called the Beatitudes. And so I'm going to be taking you through to the very last of these Beatitudes today, which says, blessed are those who are persecuted. It's, it's a tough topic. <laughs> uh, so it's a beautiful Sunday morning. It's bright outside. Take in that sun because we're going to have to kind of go down into some depths today, but I promise you by the end of today that I think you will see just how something that seems so dark and so painful really can be a blessing for your life. Do you believe me? You with me with that? Okay, good. Well, before we jump into that portion, I do want to kind of summarize where we've gotten so far in this series so that we can make sure that we're clear on what's going on. Pastor Josh has taken us through each of the Beatitudes. There are eight total Beatitudes in Jesus's sermon. And there's a few truths that he's drawn out from that. Let me just give you four so that we're grounded as we go into this topic. Number one, the Beatitudes are a comprehensive picture of what every follower of Jesus ought to be. Okay, we all clear on that? Uh, This is a picture of what a disciple of Jesus should look like. It should look like, we should look like, people who are poor in spirit, who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, like people who are pure in heart, who are peacemakers. All of these different Beatitudes are a part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That's number one. Number two, the Beatitudes are Jesus' formula for a good, fulfilled, and happy life. When Jesus uses the word blessing or blessed in this sermon, he's using a Greek word called makarios, not called, the Greek word makarios, and makarios can be translated as blessed or it could be translated as happy. So Jesus is saying, happy are you when you are persecuted. That's a fascinating thing. That he's saying this is the way to the good life this is Jesus's answer when we ask the question how can I live a life that's fulfilled where I feel grounded I'm satisfied everything is rightly ordered and perfect how do I get there Jesus says have these qualities this is the blessed life the happy life okay so that's number two number three it's important for us to remember that the Beatitudes are a progression So it begins with being poor in spirit, and then each other beatitude builds off of the one before. It's a way of coming into discipleship with Jesus. And it's really fascinating that the first four out of the eight is all about our relationship and responsibilities to God himself. And the final four are about our responsibilities to our fellow human beings. Now notice Jesus summarized the whole law In the phrase, I'm sure many of you have heard it before, and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, 
and love your neighbor as yourself. The Beatitudes reflect that. This is how you love the Lord with all your heart and how you love your neighbor as yourself. These are the qualities that you need, okay? And it's building one off of the other. And then finally, this is really important, we are incapable of actually living out the Beatitudes in our own strength. We can't do it. If you read the Beatitudes carefully, you will quickly discover uh, you're not good enough to do it. You are not pure in heart. You are not hungry and thirsty for righteousness in the way that Jesus wants you to be. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus fulfilled the Beatitudes completely. He fulfills them, and then he offers that blessedness to us freely by way of the Holy Spirit, which is an incredible thing. So that kind of centers us on where we are. Let's read through the Beatitudes one more time as a congregation, and then we're going to dive into that final beatitude, that final blessing that Jesus calls us to. Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. It's going to be up on the screens as well. It says, seeing the crowds, he, meaning Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed of those of you are those of you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is what we'll be talking about today. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, as I read that, I hope that you are getting the question, that you're feeling a little puzzled by the fact that Jesus says, blessed are you when people revile you. Does that unsettle you a little bit? It really should. If you're reading it carefully, blessed are you, happy are you when people hate you, when they slander you, when they come against you, that's a blessing. This is a strange passage. So I want to unpack this today, and I want to answer three primary questions about this beatitude. And I think that this will help us to understand what is Jesus getting at. Because you have to remember, the beatitudes are a progression. And so where we started, poor in spirit, we are now coming to the conclusion of what a life in discipleship to Jesus looks like. And the end of that life is persecution. 
This is a fascinating thing. So, here are the three questions. Is everyone still with me? Yeah, if you're with me, give me a mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, good. Here are the three questions that I really want to answer today. Number one, why is persecution an inevitable part of following Jesus? Why is persecution an inevitable part of following Jesus? Number two, what is the responsibility of being a persecuted people? Now notice here, Jesus does not say if you're persecuted. He says when you're persecuted. It's inevitable. It comes with the territory of being his disciple. And then he lays it upon us almost as a responsibility. He's saying, yeah, take on a character of one who is persecuted. There's a responsibility that comes with it. And then finally, why is persecution a blessing? Why is persecution a blessing? The three parts of this as we break it down is we're going to talk about the inevitability of persecution, the challenge of persecution, and the comfort of persecution. This is all very paradoxical. So stay with me. We're going to go through this, and I think by the end it will really uh, touch you in a powerful way. Let's start with the inevitability of persecution. Why does Jesus say that persecution is part of what it means to be a disciple. Let me see if I can just put it real simply for you all today. As Christians, we are called to a life that is set against the ways of the world. Jesus' values are not the world's values. His life is not the world's life. His blessing is not the world's blessing. Jesus' message is in conflict with the status quo. And it was as true back in ancient Rome when Jesus was giving this message as it is today. The Beatitudes, it's so easy for us today to read them as like nice things. Like, oh yeah, that's really nice. Poor in spirit. That makes me feel nice and warm and fuzzy. But when Jesus gave this sermon, the Jewish leaders of his day were shocked. The Romans who were listening to this scoffed at Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. That's not the people who are blessed in our world. The blessed are the people who are powerful, who win. The victors, they're the ones who are blessed. What are you talking about? This was shocking. It's easy for us today to not see that completely, right? Now, persecution is something that we think of as very old. We, we don't think about it very much today in the American context. And in some senses, that really is a blessing. Uh, we live in a country where freedom of religion is something that's written into our law code, and it's been a part of our history for a long time. And how wonderful is it that we can come into a church building like this without fear of violence being done against us. That's an incredible thing. And so it's easy for us to sit in that comfortability and to forget persecution is just as real today as it was back in ancient Rome. The International Society for Human Rights actually just released some statistics on Christian persecution around the world. And I, I was shocked when I heard these st statistics. And so just uh, bear with this for a second. 
according to the International Society for Human Rights, Christians are the number one most persecuted people group in the world today. Number one. 80% of all religious persecution is directed towards Christians. Last year alone, 245 million Christians experienced high levels of persecution, including being killed, being imprisoned, having their churches blown up or burned down. It is real. It's with us today. Uh, my parents are pastors of a church in Bangkok, Thailand, and uh, not too long ago, I, I was talking with them about some of the refugee families that are in their church. There's a lot of refugees that flee to Thailand to seek asylum, and there was a young girl in their church from Afghanistan, and her name was Yashap, and Yashap wrote an essay for her a high school where she told a little bit of her story of fleeing persecution in Afghanistan. And my parents sent me this essay, and I, I have to tell you, it, it just is so powerful and jolting. It's just something you don't expect. And the fact that this sort of thing happened only a few years ago is truly astounding. And here's what Yashap said in her essay titled, My Mom, My Hero. They did burn some houses before that, but now they were coming to burn our house, too. My mother held my hand, carried me, and brought me out of that danger. I was feeling like that was the last day of my life, but my mother, my hero, rescued me. Then, for a few months, life became harder because it was getting cold and we were living in a tent because our home was burnt. We had limited resources to warm up, so my mother always used to give her blanket to my brother and me so that we could sleep comfortably. On November 14th, 2013, while we were in Thailand, my father was caught by the Thai immigration and was put into the immigration detention center. There were times when my mother was not able to decide what to do, but she taught my brother and me to trust God. Life is never easy, but she also reminds us that nothing is hard until you make it hard for yourself. The reason that this persecution is so inevitable is because the life that Jesus wants for you does not fit with the values of this world. As John Stott, the British 20th century theologian, put it, he said, persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. Remember that Jesus' message in the Beatitudes is a message about the good life. He says, if you're looking for blessedness and happiness, here's how you get it. I think that today in America, because we don't experience the same level of persecution that Yashap experienced, we think that it's not possible for us. But I want to submit to you that maybe some of the things that even in our American modern culture we would call blessed don't match what Jesus said. And to illustrate this, I want to just give you a little mind experiment, okay, a little thought experiment here. Uh, I wrote what I think... Uh, 
would be a beatitude sermon if a modern-day secular American were to write this sermon. Okay? So stick with me. Here are the beatitudes according to a modern-day secular American. Let's see how they compare to Jesus' message on the mount. Blessed are the confident for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for riches, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the tolerant, for they shall receive tolerance. Blessed are those who follow their hearts, for they shall see happiness. Blessed are the warriors, for they shall be called victorious. Blessed are those who are celebrated for their talents and achievements, for theirs is the American dream. Blessed are you when others like you and praise you and post all kinds of nice tweets and comments about you. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great on earth. Does that sound like Jesus? I don't think it does. And so there's a, a conundrum here, a problem. If you are going to live as a disciple to Jesus Christ, you are automatically going to be in opposition to another way of trying to live. And that sets you into a position where you can be persecuted. Persecution in America today may not look the same as it does in other places around the world, but it can manifest itself in things like social stigmatization, legal penalties, rejection from family and from friends. These are things that I'm sure many of us, if we were to go around a room and share stories, there are times in our lives where those of you who have been serving Jesus for a while have run into this sort of thing where because of your commitment to Jesus Christ and his teachings, you have encountered opposition you have encountered rejection from other people. And it's a difficult thing to encounter. It truly is. So the second part. What is the responsibility that is given to us? What is this challenge of persecution? Persecution, I would submit to you, is the logical conclusion of the Beatitudes. Because the Beatitudes are a series of progressive steps to giving up your entire self to Jesus Christ. As you step into discipleship, you enter into a journey of denying yourself and saying yes to Jesus Christ. Discipleship begins with the submission of our hearts, but it ends with the submission of everything else, our entire being. And that is why the Beatitudes end with persecution, because persecution is the picture, the pinnacle image of you being completely submitted to Jesus Christ in every part of your life so that nothing in this world holds you back, not a single thing. We see this in other parts 
of the Bible uh, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, just a few chapters after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? See, the cross that Jesus was executed on, this pinnacle image of persecution, is not something that occurs at the very end of our discipleship to Jesus. It meets us right at the beginning. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross today. Enter into the life of persecution. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is uh, one of my favorite figures in history. He was a pastor and a theologian living in Germany in the 1930s and 40s. And he was deeply committed to discipleship with Jesus Christ, but there was a problem that occurred in his day and age. His beloved country of Germany fell under the influence of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party. And in his day, as he was preaching in different churches around Germany, he observed his culture begin to shift and persecution being uh, taken against the Jews and other minority groups there in Germany, and he could not stand by and watch it happen. He knew that his discipleship to Jesus had to lead him to fight for justice in his society, and that's exactly what he did. The cost of this that one day in 1942 the Gestapo showed up at his house and arrested him and took him to a concentration camp and there he spent the next three years in this concentration camp ministering to the prisoners around him and just a few days before he was executed because of his faith he wrote these words he said the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering, which every man must experience, is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man, which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. That'll suck the air out of the room, won't it? Well, it brings up a really interesting question for us. How is that a blessing? How can it be good news when Jesus says, come and follow me, pick up your cross, come and die? 
how is this good news? Where is the blessing in all of this? Well, here's the beautiful and paradoxical answer to that question. You can't fulfill this beatitude. You're not strong enough. You can't do it. Jesus would have made a horrible motivational speaker. Can I tell you that? He really would have because the message of the Beatitudes is here's this impossible standard and you actually don't have it in you to reach it. But the beautiful paradox is even though you're not strong enough, Jesus is. He was strong enough. He submitted himself to death on the cross and he came out the other side. And he has promised to each and every one of us that he will impart to us the power through the Holy Spirit to do the exact same thing. You're not alone. You don't have it in you, but that's okay. Jesus is coming to help you with this. And this is true from the first beatitude all the way to the very end. The blessed life is not something you can earn. It's something that's freely given to you. Amen. That's incredible. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Beatitudes. When he gave his life on the cross, he completely fulfilled his own teaching. And now he offers that blessing to us. You have to remember, in order to understand the blessing of this Beatitude, that the end of the gospel story is not Jesus hanging on a cross. The end of the gospel story is an empty tomb. The cross is the darkness of the night that comes in persecution, but the end of the story is a bright and glorious day, and we get to share in that glory. That is the promise of Jesus Christ. I think that when it says in this verse, rejoice and be glad when you're persecuted, the only way to make sense of that is to understand that there is a promise of blessings to come, and there is a promise of blessings right here and now in the midst of persecution. Let me break down that first one first, the, the promise of blessings to come. It says in Romans chapter 5, this is Paul writing to the church of Rome. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, the apostle writes, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering Bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure we also reign with him. 
I don't want you to be confused by these two verses in thinking that the call and responsibility of being a persecuted disciple is to just grin and bear it and act like nothing is wrong when troubles and suffering come. That's stoicism, not Christianity. Remember, Jesus did not face the cross with a stern face. He wept in the face of death. This is a beautiful thing about Christianity. It takes suffering so seriously. One of the Beatitudes, it says, is to mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. And yet in our mourning, in our weeping, in our bearing of the troubles of suffering and persecution in life, we can hold on to the hope that there is a life to come where God will wipe away every tear, where suffering will be ended. That is the hope we hold on to for the future. And it grounds us so that even in the midst of suffering, we can rejoice and be glad. Isn't that incredible? But that rejoicing and gladness doesn't just come because of the future hope. Of course, that's there in our Christian faith. But it is also present in the blessings that are promised for right now. It's a fascinating thing to me. Those statistics I shared with you at the beginning of this sermon about the Christians that have, are being persecuted all over the world, the countries where the greatest persecution is taking place, countries like China, North Korea, Afghanistan, and many others, those are also the countries where the church is growing faster than anywhere else in the world. Isn't that incredible? There is a blessing that comes through persecution. There are miracles that come when you are willing to submit your life fully to the cause of Christ. When you're able to step out of what we call the ego drama, the, the self-centered drama, and step into the theo drama, the God drama. When you let go of your own life and you put into the life of Christ, miracles happen in the here and now. This is why in the first few hundred years of Christianity, even though Christianity was hotly persecuted by the Roman Empire, the church spread like wildfire. Tertullian, who was a Christian bishop in the fourth century, when he was writing his history of the early church, he said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. What a beautiful thing. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Blessed are the peacemakers. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, Notice, he doesn't say, if you're slandered. When you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer 
for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. The blessing that comes through persecution is something that pours out into your own life, into the lives of your family, and into your community, and it's something that can transform the whole world. It's happened throughout 2,000 years of Christianity over and over and over again. It's an incredible thing. Uh, those of you who know me know that my favorite author in the whole world is C.S. Lewis. Uh, so I can't ever give a sermon without quoting him at least once. And he has this fascinating passage in his book, Mere Christianity, where he talks about this very principle. And before I read it, I, I think it's important for you to keep in mind, this book was written originally as a radio talk to be delivered on BBC Radio in 1942 during the Blitzkrieg when Nazi bombers were bombing London, killing thousands of people in Britain. C.S. Lewis wrote this as a radio talk to encourage the people of Britain during this time of trouble and strife. And here's what he says. This principle runs through life from top to bottom. Here's the principle. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body in the end. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever truly be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. When Jesus says in the Beatitudes that giving up yourself to him is the way to the blessed life. And when he says later that living in selfishness will lead to despair and ruin, he's not saying it will lead to despair and ruin as like a punishment because he doesn't like selfishness. He's just telling you the reality of the world. This is as true as two plus two equals four. Live a life of selfishness, you'll be left with loneliness and despair. That's just the way the world is. And the only way out of that self-centered prison is to give your life completely to God. Completely. Every facet. Hold nothing back. I'd like to invite the band up today. There are thousands of stories of Christians who gave their lives for the cause of Christ. But I just want to share one with you today to illustrate the power 
of this blessing as it manifests in the world. In the 4th and 5th century, there was a young man named Telemachus. And he became a monk early in his youth. He lived in the eastern part of the Roman Empire. And one day while he was praying, he felt the Holy Spirit call him to go to the city of Rome. He didn't know why, he just felt this call deep in his heart, you need to go to the city of Rome. So Telemachus traveled on to the city and he made it to Rome and as he arrived, he saw large crowds making their way into the Colosseum at the center of the city. Telemachus wasn't sure what it was that was going on there and he was curious and so he decided to follow the crowds into this arena. The emperor of Rome at the time, Heronius, had called for gladiatorial games to celebrate his recent victory over Rome's enemies, the Goths. So as Telemachus entered the arena and took his seat, two gladiators were brought out onto the dirt at the center of the Colosseum. They looked up to the emperor's box and they pledged their allegiance to him, saying, we who are about to die salute you. And then they began to fight. Observing the violence and the crowd's lust for this violence, Telemachus was deeply, deeply troubled. He wept as he saw what was happening and finally decided that he had seen enough. He pushed his way through the crowd and he leapt over the walls of the arena and he ran in between the two men and he shouted at the top of his lungs, stop, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop. At first the crowds thought this was amusing. They laughed at this little man trying to stop this battle. But soon they realized that he was also getting in the way of their lust for blood. And so as he shouted again, stop, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop, the crowd turned on him and they began to hiss and jeer and they threw things down from the stands and they demanded that this little man be put to death. One of the gladiators decided to oblige the crowd and he came up to Telemachus and ran him through with his sword. As Telemachus fell to the ground with his dying breath, he cried once more, stop, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop. And then a strange thing happened. Silence fell over the Colosseum. Someplace in the upper tiers, one man got up out of his seat and exited the arena. In silence, one by one, 
the rest of the spectators got up from their seats until none were left. That was the last gladiatorial battle ever held in the Roman Colosseum. A few days later, the Emperor Heronius issued a decree that gladiatorial games were now illegal. Because of the faith of this one man, the willingness to submit himself to death, a thousand-year-long tradition of violence and cruelty was put to an end. And the beautiful thing about the story, if it wasn't beautiful enough, is that Telemachus's name is a very popular Greek name back in that time. His name means end of war. How good is God? Would you stand with me today? I'd like to invite you all to close your eyes, bow your heads with me. Two thousand years ago, Jesus gave up his life so that we may have life everlasting. He called his disciples to follow that same example and therefore share in his blessing. And today, that same call is being made to you. Come, lay down your life, pick up your cross, and follow me. If you're here today, and you have never made that decision to put your full trust in God and seek the blessing that he has for you, I want to invite you to take a step of faith and to raise your hand in faith so that we can pray for you to see this become part of your life. If you feel that that's you, that you need to come and lay down your life, would you raise your hand right now? here today, we've begun our journey in discipleship. We've taken those initial steps of the Beatitudes of submitting ourselves to Christ. But everyday life has gotten in the way. We've lost sight of the seriousness of the call of persecution. And so I want to pray for those of you today who even though you've started that journey, know that you need to recommit yourself to the life of the cross. If you feel that that's you, would you in faith raise your hand today so that we could pray for you? Thank you. Thank you. In just a moment, we're going to enter into a time of prayer and worship, and I want to invite any of you who want prayer to come to the front, we will have leaders up here who can pray for you. 
before we do, I just want to give a general prayer over your lives. If you would just stretch out your hands in a position of receptivity. Lord, thank you for the message of the Beatitudes. Thank you, Lord, for fulfilling the Beatitudes on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for the empty tomb and the glory that you have promised for us. We pray, Lord, that right now your Holy Spirit would come into this place, that it would fill every heart, that it would bring healing to every heart and every body, and that you would begin to transform us, Lord. Teach us the way of the cross that we might also share in the way of your life. Lord, as we take a step of faith towards you, I pray that you would take a leap into our hearts. Speak to us here today, God. Transform us here today. In your holy name, amen. If you'd like to receive prayer today, please come to the front.